Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded in many places across the world. In Australia, it's recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present for they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Welcome back, listeners, to this episode of the Lead to Soar podcast. Now, a content warning, folks. The episode is not for you if the occasional swear word offends you or if you might have little ears listening <laughs> in the car or wherever, wherever you are listening to us. Many of you know that me, that Michelle here, uh, left unedited. I'm a very, very sweary person, a very big potty mouth. So I'm delighted to swearily introduce today's guest using her own swear words. Tara Furiani says her firm, Not the HR Lady, is committed to getting fuckery out of the workplace. And I just love that. From racism to misogyny to bigotry to sexism to ageism to mental wellness to bullying. And her mission is simple. Create on- ongoing dialogue and affect change related to taboo work topics that marginalise, harm and oppress women, BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus employees. By way of background, Tara is an accomplished Chief People Officer, Chief Human Resources Officer, Chief Talent Officer and Executive Psychologist. She's worked across the globe in a range of industries as both a member of the C-suite team and as an advisor to CEOs and their teams. Welcome to the pod, Tara. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait to discuss some of my favorite topics, which is getting bullshit out of the workplace in all regards. So thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And of course, I've got my amazing partner in all things women, work, leadership, equality, social justice, and of course, a career that soars, Mel Butcher. Great to have you. Thanks, Michelle. First of all, for, for our listeners and our watchers today in a career that soars, if you haven't yet watched the live stream that Mel did with Tara on LinkedIn, and the, the title of that live stream was called Why Wasn't I Picked for the Role? What I really appreciated about it was, Mel, as always, you picked a topic that, you know, can sometimes fall into the taboo or we don't talk about that or, we, you know, we just assume that that's just the way things are. And, you know, okay, so I didn't get a role and, you know, suck it up, princess, and on you go. But you went, okay, so why didn't, why didn't she get picked for or they get picked for the role? And you and Tara unpicked that why didn't I get picked for the role topic very, very nicely. So Mel, I want you to set the scene for our listeners. How did you come across Tara and 
well, I'm not going to say why did you choose to do that live because it's, I think it's self-evident, but what do you think we're going to go deeper on today in, in today's episode? Yeah, so I was trying to remember when I first came across Tara and I, I can't remember what it was, but it, it had to have been someone in my orbit was interacting with some of her posts and of course, she has a style that's a lot like yours, Michelle. It's very straightforward to the point, like we're going to talk about things very directly. And I just loved it. So I started following her. And then quite a while later, a question came in from one of one of my followers that was something along the lines of, you know, I've been at this company for however many years, I think in, in this case, it was over a decade they went for a, a promotion to a new role. They didn't get it. And they wanted to know how could they get some real information about that. And I know from my limited experience that sometimes that's uh, an area where companies are not forthcoming with information. Sometimes HR is not forthcoming with information. And so I wanted to turn to an expert, someone who could give us some real insights into what happens in the HR space. And that's when I reached out to Tara and she so kindly agreed to join me for that. Outstanding. Well, I think we're going to build on that today because in the work that I do, my other work that I do in diversity, equity and inclusion, so I consult to a number of different companies across business and, and in sport. And, you know, I, I, don't, I haven't quite got a percentage on it, but, a, but a, a large percentage of the initial approaches to me from companies come from people in HR. And I'm often curious because I'm usually the one saying, we actually need to do something different. Um, we need HR to do some different stuff and, and lift up, you know, lift their game and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so, I, and we will delve into that. But I guess for me, I really want to lift the hood of HR today, Tara, and go, well, you've seen the run sheet. So I, I, I really want to get your view about what we need to do more of in the HR practitioner realms, as well as how HR can be a really great partner to business to level the playing field for women and other underrepresented people. So let's kick it off because the first thing I'm going in my head, I'm going, okay, so there's this amazing, you know, track record of accomplishments. You're a very credible chief people officer. But you call your business not the HR lady. And I'm going, well, hang on a minute. What's going on there? Because you're kind of going, oh, I'm going to distance myself from the HR lady, Monica. So what is what what is the message there? Tell us about that. So the short story is is that I was actually called an HR lady by a colleague who was the president of the company, one of the companies that we were merging together with a couple of other companies. We did a reverse acquisition, and you know I'm a chief people officer. This company has ten thousand employees. I mean I'm I'm in the C suite. I'm I'm not just some you know check checking boxes. Whatever it is you think we do, you know. And when he introduced the chief financial officer. I was taken aback upon reflecting that he didn't call him like the bean counter guy, you know, and I say that in jest, but it's sort of like HR always just gets shit on, you know, there's no strategic part of the, the role that we do in so many people's eyes. It's just quite literally pay us, check a box, give us benefits, help us fire people, be the bad guy, be the cops, write the policies, like, and there's so much more to it than that. I mean, thinking about, you know, in when you're in this discipline that you are the person who is managing recruiting, your employment brands, learning and development, typically the administrative staff, sometimes the maintenance team, you're working in conjunction with operations and tech. You have tech of your own that is specific to your discipline, probably three different ones at a minimum, you know, an HCM system, which is for your HR needs that recruitment system and ATS, the learning system and LMS. There's so that there's just not, I think, an awareness on and, and it really was born out of being called this on stage in front of a group of about 500 people as we were assimilating these various companies and becoming one and everybody sort of got their, you know, their credible introduction. This is so-and-so. He's our chief financial officer. He used to work for McKinsey, you know, all the things. Um, and then it's like, this is Tara Fernani. So don't even buy telling my name correctly to anybody, even though we've been doing this seven times now. 
no, 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 no. This is him telling, you know, yes, just completely did it com- with absolute disregard for me as just a person, a colleague, a coworker. And I was the only woman on the team. And so it was so kind of grossly targeted, but he got up on stage and he introduced me as Tara, or Tara Fernini, the HR lady. And, uh, and so I walked up on stage and did what I would advise anybody to do, which was immediately correct the situation. And, and I welcomed myself and I'm like, thank you so much for having me. My name is actually Tara Furiani and I am not the HR lady. I am the chief people officer. Let me help you understand what that looks like. And then I went into my like normal spiel, but it was really born out of that. There's such a misconception about, and I think it's our own fault. So I have a lot of strong opinions in this kind of space. I think we kind of did it to ourselves as a profession, but I certainly think that, you know, the fact that this is primarily a women, a woman driven role where there's a lot of people who are women in this space in a large, such large disparity between men and women in the HR profession, um, that it's sort of, is it our fault? Or were we just made to sort of fit in this box because this is what we're good at? We're good at people. We can plan parties. We can do this. Um, and so that's kind of how it, how it was born. And I like to distance myself because that's not me. I'm not a box checker, party planning, you know, like let me protect the company at all costs kind of girl. I do all those things. Uh, of course, but it's certainly a very small component of the bigger picture of things that I do. And, um, and so that was kind of the idea behind it, you know, couple that with some strategically placed fucks and talks about misogyny and talks about racism in the workplace. You know, it's kind of the antithesis of what you think about an HR person talking about. And frankly, we know where all the skeletons are. We know that this stuff happens. We're the ones who are usually handling it. So that's kind of the the full circle story of how we came about. And here we are. I'm, um, as I scribbled down a couple of things that as you were talking, because I'm going, oh, yeah. So my, I'm going to keep this person anonymous, but a person in my network, a woman in my network, who's actually a chief financial officer, I was talking about microaggressions and, you know, the way women are disrespected and, and, and gaslit in organisations. And I, I did a post uh, a few weeks ago and this person gave me some material, as did a number of other women in my network, but chief financial officer and was introduced to a new colleague by her peer as the accounts woman, the person who does accounts. And, you know, so this person told me, and of course I had a slight head explosion. I had a massive head explosion because there is such a gendered, gendered view on this. And, and, you know, as a gender expert, I'm, you know, workplace gender equality expert. This is something that I'm hugely in tune with. So I, you know, I will over-index and, you know, I have a bias towards listening out for this kind of stuff. But so that's number one. So I wonder if, as you said, if it was a dude, would they, would they have their position so diminished? So I think just, just an interesting aside, but one of the other things I wanted to pick up on was, oh, you're good at people. So let's put you into HR. And, you know, the HR track for me, I call them pink palaces because they are typically full of women. Interestingly, one of my best friends is a HR director, a he. And then one of my clients, uh, my major clients, their HR director is a, is, a, is a guy, but they are the exception. But when I think about our three-part leadership definition, so leadership's using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. Our research shows that bosses consider women to be the best at engaging the greatness in others. So they outperform men in terms of that. They're about equal when it comes to personal greatness, so all of our personal strengths and attributes. But surprise, surprise, when it comes to achieving and sustaining outcomes, so the strategic and financial outcomes of the business, bosses consider women less competent. In fact, they consider men outperform women to quite quite a degree. And it's interesting when you talk about, oh, you're so good with people. But the role is so much more than that. When I think about that leadership definition and the biases that we have towards where we steer women in their careers, so the two part two points I'm trying to make it. Number one, we steer them to let's keep you being good with people, but let's not give you information about achieving and sustaining the strategic and financial goals of the organisation. And I think this is where perhaps what you've touched on in is does HR let itself down or has the business let HR down by not bringing them closer to, whether it's perception or reality, closer to that real strategic stuff, the the financial outcomes. So that's a very long way of me 
kind of delving into my next area, which is who are you focusing on? So who are you targeting? So when you're when you're talking about, so I'm not the HR lady, I can take your business forward. I will be a you know strategic partner at the top table to help shape the strategy as well as implement it, help shape what our financial map is as well as help implement it. So who are you, when you're going out with your messaging, who are you targeting? HR professionals or people leaders or, or both? So I think it's so funny. I spoke about this yesterday with somebody else and, uh, you know, none of this was intentional. And I, I think that that sounds like crazy to say, like my show, you know, I was always starting Not the HR Lady before COVID happened. Being thrust though into the world of consulting and doing different stuff because my corporate role as a chief people officer ended, you you know, was a pivot I didn't even intend to make. I had this thought that we needed to have more dialogue that was open and transparent and could really start to help those of us in those seats be less complicit, to push back on our companies, to say, no, we need to do gender equity studies internally because I know some things about some things and we need to talk about it. Like being that champion and guiding sort of those processes in our roles. And I did allude to it, that did we do it to ourselves? Did companies do it to us? It's that chicken and egg kind of thing. The thing about, I think, the role of a, of HR and where there's so much opportunity, but yet so much structure that still needs to happen is that all of the structure is what it is. It's more of that intrinsic, like, are we doing the right thing every single day? Are we living all these words that we've put on our walls everywhere through our marketing messages? Are we marketing ourselves or are we being the selves that we're marketing? And um, and I think there's an interesting, you know, balance that a, that a strategic person like myself and others like me, when we're talking about it on such a loud platform, it empowers those working inside organizations. So you asked me a, a question that really there was no intent behind at the at the jump. It was really about more empowering and talking about and starting a dialogue that wasn't just wasn't being had. You know, we weren't discussing the fact that racism exists in the hiring process. We weren't talking about the fact that you know gender inequity in really meaningful and terrible ways are demonstrating themselves in boardrooms across the world every day. And we're not talking about that in any kind of meaningful way. And so my intent at first was more awareness. Who I ended up working with, it's such a hodgepodge of different kinds of companies. I'm really fortunate that, um, you know, I work with some great nonprofits. I work with people who have you know, a real desire to shift that narrative, whether it's helping their own internal HR teams and recognizing that, you know, their, their bench strength and that depth of just experience and new way of doing things that isn't just box checking. Because for a while, that really all is all it was. It was benefits. It was payroll. It was ensuring compliance. It was mitigating corporate risk. Now the, the conversation has really changed. And for some companies, that is a completely different thing than what they've been doing. And there's not that expertise. So jumping into companies that really want to make meaningful change, they're already doing the basic stuff. They just haven't gone the next level. They're just not, you know, in a place where they have that, that knowledge. And so seeing executives and teams and boards really go, you know, I, what you're saying is it resonates. It really hits. We get that we need to be thinking about things differently. So who do I target? Everybody who is somebody who can affect change in the world of work. And I believe that's every single one of us, particularly white cis males who have such an advantage to lend their voice for the allyship that I think we all need. And that's, that's what it looks like. It's lending your actual voice. You can't just claim feminism. You have to be feminism and that has to show up every day at work. Yeah. Uh, you're talking my language there because if, if I'm asked the same question, who's your target market, Michelle? And like you, I have a really broad range of customers or clients and, and just really different. But if I said, well, if, if I were to look at the world in, in a binary sense, yeah, my, my target market and the majority of the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis are white, cisgendered men who are straight off most of the time because they are they are the people who hold power in organizations. And interestingly, and and I I'm going to lump myself into this group. I'm not a white straight cisgendered man. I'm a white gay cisgendered woman, but I'm going to lump myself into 
the people when I was in my corporate career who wouldn't have necessarily, unless there was a standout person, wouldn't have necessarily had HR at my strategic planning table. I would have HR as a, and I'm thinking of one of my last organisations that I worked with where it was particularly evident that, yes, it was HR were there as a business partner, but to kind of clean up some stuff and do some stuff. And that, that, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily coming to me. And as I said, there's a couple of notable exceptions in my career where I've had true strategic HR or people partners, but by and by that wasn't the case. So I wasn't automatically thinking, I've got a new market to enter. I've got a new strategy to develop. I've got, I've got to grow the business here. I've got to make sure my HR lady, <laughs> I've got to make sure my, my HR business partners here with me at the table. I wouldn't have done that as a default. So why does HR get a bad rap? Why do people like me in my old life for my current clients? You know, that's not me now. In my old life, why don't we value having HR at that table? And why does HR get a bad rap? I'm Mel Butcher, and I want to talk to you about Project Best Self. Project Best Self is a goal-setting and habit-formation intensive. Together, we'll get clarity on our goals, set up the systems we need to be successful in those goals, and provide support to one another in our cohort in this intensive. I'd love to see you inside Project Best Self. Come join us. Learn more under the courses section inside A Career That Soars. So I think you said it best when you said like we fix stuff, like we clean stuff up. And unfortunately, I would say that whether it was how we were put into organizations or our own inability to break out of that mold when in those positions, um, you know, it's it's an interesting spot, I think, for HR to be is, is that for a long time, we were just an administrative function. And I think the smart organizations either had a moment of realizing that, you know, somebody brings something unique to the table or reads an article and gets a thought and then asks a question that sparks a dialogue. And then here, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about what this role can kind of do and why HR should be at the table. And I think... It's an interesting place to think about. We've really never spoken up. What's so interesting about where we sit is that we see literally everything. Like all the dead, yes, like we have a map to where they're all buried. We know what severance is getting paid out and to whom. We know when severance isn't getting paid out and that it should, and that you are going to write a press release just in case some of this leaks. We are the gatekeepers of all the things. And where I think we've let ourselves down is that, and you'll see this a lot, I think a lot of us have had those experiences of, of HR ladies that seem secretive and closed off and like they're, you know, hoarding company secrets. I certainly have seen them. You know, it's like kind of that sense of, I know something you don't know, but yet I'm really not going to do anything about it. But I sort of have this power over you. Like, that's no way to be. You realize and recognize what you do offer and then throwing yourself in and making those meaningful suggestions. And I'll give you a real example. As a, as a chief people officer, our company had a very loosey-goosey severance policy. And the reason I was brought in was to really help uh, stop the fuckery for our company. I mean, just to put it in very, very plain terms, there was a lot of sexual harassment. There was beyond sexual harassment that was happening. There was a really just bad kind of thunderstorm of just, you know, employee related shit. And it cost the company kind of severely. And so that's why I was brought on. Well, several months later, um, you know, we're making strides. We're, we're trying to shift that narrative in real and meaningful ways. We're trying to ensure our people feel safe and supported and, you know, not like there's predators lurking within our very halls. And then the line in the sand uh, came down to a black over 40 uh, woman where that's where we wanted to implement. That's not where I wanted to, but that's where it was wanted that the implementation of more stringent policies related to severance should be applied. 
just right there. And the conversation about this, I mean, it was a, a screaming matches in some instances, trying to get the understanding that like, you can't do this fucking shit. You know, like this isn't, uh, this isn't the time. This isn't the one, this isn't how this works out. You are going to pay this over 40 black woman who is absolutely not be, being fired for cause at a minimum what you've paid these men who've raped people organizationally. So like everybody take a pause, take a moment, but see, here's where we've gone wrong in my profession. That's not a pushback, right? So this happens and somebody wants something done and there's something we say something, but if they're like, no, it's gotta be like this. It's like, okay, you know, and that meek sort of passive approach is just not how business is done. I mean, you sit in any room and I'm not saying be an asshole, throw your dick on the table, have a measuring contest, but like you have to advocate for the things that are within your purview that are going to affect the company and the scope that you represent. And so for me to sit back and go, you guys are idiots. Why, why would you, and, and say it to myself only not say it to them. I, I I don't earn my seat at the table. Like if I'm not going to use that seat to advocate on behalf of what's right as a, as a personhood, as a company, as the writing that we put all over the walls saying, this is who we are. Like that's my job is to champion. And we just haven't done that for so long. We've accepted that we're not in a position of power. We don't have a seat at the table, you know, and, and it, and it is what it is, but when we start talking about those things, forget about risk mitigation. We've been doing that all along. What about people mitigation, reputational mitigation? You know, really understanding what this hit is going to do to the morale of the people around this person who has obviously been unjustly fired and who know they're getting a raw deal. I mean, there's so many nuanced parts to this, but I think to answer your question, I guess to summarize the answer to your question, it's like we have just sat, been silent for far too long as a profession where other professions, other disciplines, other industries have have demonstrated their value at the table. We just haven't. Time for HR to rise up. Yeah, now is the time. Hey, Mel, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, you and I get a bunch of questions for this podcast as well as in our courageous asks in a career that soars. So for, for listeners who, who haven't tuned in before, we have this facility, this option within a career that soars where our members, which is women only or women identifying only, uh, they can ask something courageous. And often it is about a workplace issue and some of the things that, that you're talking about, Tara. Mel, I wonder, I just, I'm thinking about Anon. We've got an Anon thread going at the moment where we've got one of our members in this hostile work environment. And some of the advice that our members have given her is, you know, where is HR in this? So do you want to expand on that a bit, Mel? And I think I'm gazing at the problem a little bit here, but I'm also looking for perhaps some some context so we can give particularly our HR leaders, but also our people leaders a way to work together. Like what's the call to action? Yeah. Sorry, Mel, I've, I've been a bit garbly about that, Mel, but do you want to kind of help me out there a bit? Yeah, I think there's a, a few different directions to take this. So, you know, I think that these external network for people, this is a, a demonstration of one of the benefits that they provide, right? It's being able to get support and advice from people with different experiences that are going to have new insights for you to solve your problem. And, you know, as Michelle alluded to, the questions that we see come up a lot as asked in a career that soars, they often have to do with something very troublesome in the workplace. And so I, I guess where I want to take this in this moment is maybe for people like this who are right in the midst of a challenge, they're not part of HR. I think the first thing that, that we try to suss out for them or, or help them suss out is, is it safe to go to your HR in the company that you work for? So that's, oh, that's so tricky. Like, I hate that that's my answer, that it's like, ooh, that's tricky. I would say that I, I'm surprised to, to learn that a lot of people don't realize that EAP programs 
um, which is something maybe only US-based. I'm not sure if those are everywhere, but... No, they are. They're very prevalent here in, in Australia as well. Perfect. Those are not company administered. Um, and those, I would say, are absolutely safe. There's HIPAA you know, laws that are kind of in effect, at least here in the US. And I'm sure other places have similar similar laws and policies and things. I, those are generally safe. They're not generally administered internally. And that would be, if you're having serious issues, I would contact an EAP if your company offers one or utilize any mental health benefit resources. And that is a long about way, I guess, of saying no. Like generally speaking, you know, HR is an interesting place to go. And it's probably a surprising answer. But unless there's expressed confidentiality about what's being discussed, I would wager that in some fashion, if it's big enough, it's going to get bubbled up. And, you know, when you're in any size company, you know, you start talking about somebody on so-and-so's team, and then it's easy to whittle down sort of who said who said what. And unfortunately, that happens. It happens with employee surveys. I mean, I think the one of the funniest comments I read recently on a, a client that I'm working with survey results were, if you're asking us to put our location, that pretty much narrows down like three people here. So I'm, it's, you, know, you say it's anonymous, but it's clearly not. And I'd hate to, I hate, I would, I'd be lying to tell you that it, retaliation in that regard doesn't happen because then there's something, right? You know that it, you know that it was Karen over there, you know, whatever property at, you know, doing whatever at she said so and so about somebody else and she shouldn't have been talking about David and now that gets back and now there's even if it's not overt I mean it's it's not exactly a trustworthy process I hate to say and and the more people involved in seeing data like that you know the less it, I mean the, the even less protection you have and and that's just the reality and that's what I promised was no bullshit right and the reality is is that when we ask you for some qualifying information which we're always going to want to be able to understand satisfaction related to a certain department a certain manager a certain whatever we're going to need some kind of qualifiers and when you have qualifiers you have the ability to pretty much make an anonymous survey not anonymous so unless there is very egregious behavior going on, I would definitely have another way of of either documenting or talking through any issues that you have, like an EAP or something like that. If it's egregious yeah. enough, though, definitely report it, write it down. I mean, HR should be that for you. HR should be mitigating risk for the employees and the companies alike. But unfortunately, I, I would be I would be remiss not to mention that no, it's mostly not. Yeah. Look, I've been working for 40 years, so I've seen the I've seen the change in the HR, uh, you know, what HR was. I mean, God, it used to be payroll when I first started work. So yes, it's expanded. So, and I suppose, you know, I don't want this to be an HR bashing session, but because I also sit on boards and as a director, I'm looking for the HR, particularly the HR director to advise the organisation about what to do better, mitigate risk, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think there's a nuanced response and I've seen workplaces, um, one that I used to be a part of, one that one of our co-hosts, Amal, is part of, and I'm quite happy to call them out, Delta Airlines, who creates a specific employee relations hubs aligned to but separate from HR, but there to really, you know, they're a workplace relations hub to, I guess, that resource for, for employees. Because, you know, when you've got a whole bunch of folks in, in environments, there's going to be human dynamics and, and shit happens, right? So who do we go to? But, I, I, you know, is it safe to go to HR? I, I think it's a really, I think it's something for all of us to consider as leaders, as HR leaders, but also as people leaders and leaders of organisations. Is HR safe? If not, why not? And if it's not to be, you know, what do we do about that? So I think there's a really big call to action there for organisations, which are people, to do better. Which segues me to what I want to talk about now, because you say companies must do better by its by their employees. And I'm going to take an absolute unashamed gender lens on this one. So what should our companies, and companies are people, let's face it, they're people leaders of at all, every level, they're HR practitioners, they're all sorts of different people. But what, are they, what must they do better now for women and particularly marginalised women? So black women, women of colour, culturally, linguistically diverse from the rainbow community, disabled. So I know it's a big question and a really kept an obvious question, but what do they need to do better now? So many things. Uh, yeah. and it, it's a big question because there's a lot of work to do. But the, you know, first and foremost is to define your intentionality here. Like we don't want words anymore. We want 
action. So what are you capable of doing? What are you committed to doing? What is your long-term strategy here? And is this something that you're going to be invested in for the long haul? And you should be. The companies that are win. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Every study shows you that. Um, I've talked a lot about, there's a study that's done every year by, it's either Variety or IndieWire, I can't remember now, but films that do, that have 35% or higher diversity within their their cast and crew over the lifetime of the film would earn in excess of a hundred million dollars more than ones that had less than that. And so if you're just talking straight dollars, because that's all you understand is just money. What show me the money? The money is in investing in people who have diversity of thought and like ding ding ding, that means hiring people that don't look like you. And that means employing women. That means employing Black women. That means employing differently able, neurally diverse women. We have so many opportunities to get right. Employing them is one thing, but employing them into a not welcoming, not inclusive, or even hostile environment towards that marginalized group. And this is what I see in my work is, you know, we can take a blunt instrument and I'm thinking about a particular government initiative here in Australia where in a male-dominated field construction, there's now a mandate. If you want a government contract, you've got to have X percent. And I I forget, I think it's 5% women. I'm going, see, that's fine. But seriously, what you're creating here without all of the other stuff around it to make those work environments. And I've got to say, I've got a construction site right out here in front of my window and I'm looking at the, the dudes in high vis and I'm going, yeah, not a lot of black women out there, right? So what would it be like for them? So without the, as again, that nuanced approach, yes, you can have a blind instrument. We've got to get more women in there, but create the work environment where they can thrive. That's right. Well, that's in the intentionality behind it, right? It's like, yeah, you can just going like, hey, we're going to create this place, this environment. We're going to we're going to offer maternity leave. And then you call it maternity leave instead of like parental leave because you don't have anybody minding the store, right? Like there's nobody advising. You're trying to do good, but you're not doing good. You're making things just a little worse even. And I think that's where like the intentionality part of what I was saying kind of comes in is like, sure, you can intentionally hire people. You can intentionally change your benefits, but your intentionality about why you're doing it, what it means to the organization, and believing that, not just putting really interesting press releases out that talk about your commitment to whatever, but really thinking about what that looks like to you as an organization. If you were to, you know, intentionally attract different thought, if you were intentionally to attract people who would then change the dynamic in any given part of your workforce, if you were to intentionally, you know, go after people who really don't just uh, assimilate to your culture, but add value to that, to that culture, changing it, making it better, making it bigger and more interesting and more, you know, universally sound, if you will, because there's somebody else other than all of just the same of us jumping in and giving their two cents. And I think where companies really struggle is, is that one little piece. It's like, we want to do it. We don't really know how to do it. We're probably going to give it to HR. And, you know, and then hopefully we're going to make some things. We're going to talk about pronouns. We're going to, you know, we're going to do our part. But yeah, but you're missing the mark. Like you're just missing the mark. So how, how does, so a real call to action here, because I think one of the things I've observed in this, you know, long time on the earth is the role of HR has expanded and expanded and expanded. And I, I, I don't think necessarily that the enablers for HR to have this expanded role have, have necessarily been there. That, that's a gross generalisation, but let's shift it to people leaders. So what, let's stop bullshitting and start getting serious. So if I'm a people leader listening right now, what am I going to do? What, what's, how do I take bullshit at Mel? You're going to build on that as well. I'd like to give it, give this question a, a little more context for the listeners and, and maybe take it down a, a more narrow path here. So I work in the world of engineering and there are still many companies, engineering companies where there has never been a woman in a leadership role except the HR woman, sometimes maybe a legal counsel if we're lucky, but there are still companies like this in in the world of engineering. So where I would like to narrow this question is to say, okay, 
the, a list, let's say we have a leader from an organization like this who's ready to make change. They're ready to, to enable their HR team at large. What does it look like for leadership to support HR and, and move us into a new paradigm? I think we have to invest in our people. And this is part of that. The same way we invest in our customers. And we've never considered the two similarly. You know, our customers will go out of our way to create a website that is a great experience, let's say, or or a real-life experience that's, you know, something that you're striving to make excellent. But when we think about employees, it's like the last thing we ever think about investing any money in. We want the cheapest labor. And this is just, these are facts, right? We want the cheapest labor. We want to pay the very least possible for the minimum amount in some instances. And I say some, but I'd say like probably half of all US companies attempt to do the very bare minimum that is required because we have very bare minimum requirements here. And that's unfortunate because that is not really supporting, you know, that's why we're seeing unions start up with Amazon. Amazon, with Starbucks, with stuff. There's very basic, fundamental things that these companies who are making billions and billions and billions of dollars a year, and they're reinvesting in, in continuing to grab more market share, and yet not at all investing in the people who are ensuring that market share is able to be realized and has been realized. So it's not like we're even talking about futuristic company growth. We're already there. They're already making billions and billions and billions of dollars of revenue, like, you know, way way just in your pocket kind of money. Like everybody wins in a lot of these companies, except the folks who are actually doing a lot of the work. And that's where I think we can really influence change at the leadership level and any kind of leader regard is advocating for our people the same way. And this is an easy way to sell it to companies. Your customers that you are attracting, no matter what your discipline is, plumbing, technology, whatever, movie production, whatever, your customers and the way you attract them and the money you spend on understanding their behaviors and their buying styles and their whatever, whatever it is that you track. If you're not tracking some of those same things related to your employees and investing similarly into like that experience and why they should even work for you and the pay part of it, like... Are they being fairly compensated for the work being done? Are, are you, do you have pay equity across the board? I'll tell you, most companies just don't. Their internal equity is all over the place. They don't have transparency with salary. If you don't ask for money, they're not giving it to you. Like lowest dollar wins. And that's at every level, leadership, executive, otherwise. When you see this stuff happening, and I would say this is the best advice I can give any individual person listening. If you see things that are awry, <laughs> that are fucky, that you're like, hold on, this is a slice of fuckaroni pizza and I don't know what to do. You need to use your voice and influence change in any meaningful way that you can. It's, it's vital. It's vital to the next success. If you want to empower women, if you want to empower people of color, if you want to empower people in the LGBTQ community, it starts with us just saying, saying things, talking about it, using that lens to go, you know, I think that the, the standard 3% across the board when we made, you know, 17% above the top line last year is just a little fucked and we can't do that. And I'm not going to sacrifice Kate's increase because Tony did X and Kate's only been here for nine months. And no, as leaders, we have to come to the table and advocate for things that are right to us morally, to hold the company accountable for the things they said, to, to be that voice that can really, that can really al allow change, I think, to happen. And that's, nobody does. I don't know if we don't care enough anymore, if we're just like, fuck it, if we don't, if we're afraid. I think it's all of those things. But when we don't stop and go, nothing's ever going to get better when I just keep tolerating that 3% that, that my boss says I have to get to between my 17 employees. A slice of fuckaroni pizza. I seriously am going to, I'm going to work out how I can build that into a conversation between now and Friday. Oh my God, that's so fucking good. But anyway, I think that is such a strong call to action, which I'm going to put some some context around, you know, depending where you are. You know, lead, we say leadership manifests itself at every level. It is different at every level and power is different and power imbalance comes into it. But, you know, if your gut's telling you this is fucked, this is wrong, do something about it. Now, that might be 
what you've said and call it out. It takes a brave soul to call it out if there's a power imbalance to say, hey, hey, big bank that just made $9 billion profit and you're going to give us the minimum you possibly can in terms of our salary, which has been frozen for four years, you can get fucked and I'm out of here. Or you might go, well, actually, how do I agitate and, you know, do something about that? And it may be through the union. It may be through more unionised uh, workplaces. Now, I've got to tell you, in Australia, we have very complex industrial relations laws. We have a lot of unionised uh, industries and, you know, uh, employee unions have their place. We have some really militant ones, which employers go, yikes, if they come looking at us, you know, we're in, we're in strife. But I've also seen unions and employers work really, really well together to, to take the fuckery out of the workplace. But the thing that has really resonated to me. I, I I can't say that Richard Branson is ever on my top list of folks to quote because he's yet another rich dude who's trying to put freaking rockets into the space and should be doing more about planting trees. But anyway, um, or, or solving world hunger, quite literally. But, you know, he's, he, he has said, when you look after your people, you've got happy customers. And I'm, you know, bastardizing his phrase. But and and I remember a, a person that worked with me a long time ago. She said, Michelle, I think about, always think about the three stakeholder groups. And this is the priority that I think about them in when I run businesses, people, customers, shareholders, because the people are the ones who literally hold up the sky. And when they hold up the sky, the sky is blue and customers benefit and obviously shareholders benefit. So I think it's a really nice way of, you know, yeah, take the bullshit, call bullshit on stuff when you can and when it's safe in your organization, but do something about it. But if you're a very powerful, very influential leader, it is wrong. It is wrong. And I've got to quote it for you to continue eating slices of fuckeroni pizza or conversely, ordering fuckeroni pizza and making your employees eat it. There you go. I managed to that three times. So awesome. Great advice. Great advice. All right. Final piece of advice. And I know that was a really good piece. So if we're really going to take, you know, fuckery out of the workplace, what's the, what's another one thing that a leader at any level, but I guess particularly those middle and senior leaders can do for women in their workplace? What's, what's a, a really tangible action that could go, yeah, actually, I could do that this week. What's what's one thing? I want to do a callback back to a, the pre-show conversation that we had where you asked me my name and how to pronounce it correctly. And I gave you an example when I was sharing the the story of how Not The HR Lady came about, that that was something that was, you know, done to me, that it was a clear sign of just, it, it's microaggression, right? But it's still yeah. aggression nonetheless. And so my advice to everybody this week is to correct people. When you are right, whether it's your name, whether it's your title, whether they're just wrong about something, whether it's the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and they are wrong about their interpretation of something. Like, no, you have to correct people. And I just at that last part, I'm obsessed with the trial right now, just watching it all go down. It's very interesting study in human behavior. So I've been fascinated. I don't know if you guys are watching it, but you should. Oh, yeah. It is just, it's fascinating just to watch like the, it's a, it's a great lesson in emotional intelligence. So I would mm. say, exercise that emotional intelligence by not aggressively, but correcting people when they they slide little microaggressions, intentional or otherwise, your way. Give people the opportunity to do better next time. And when they don't, if they don't, keep correcting them every time. Take your space. That is your name. That is your title. That is what you do. Uh, that is your discipline. That is your area of expertise. Take a moment to allow yourself to go, no, I'm worth you knowing my name is Tara and that my last name is Furiani and that I am absolutely not the HR lady. I'm a chief people officer and that's different. That's, that's something, that's something I've earned. Take up your space, correct people and, and never minimize yourself because other people just, you know, it happens all the time. Guys wouldn't do that. So my women listeners, guys wouldn't do that. Guys would correct you. And I'm not suggesting we be like men. We aren't. But in the world of business, that wouldn't slide. There would be correction and we should correct as well. It's not okay to just sit back and be polite. We don't have to do the things we were taught. Those were antiquated things. And it's time for us to take our space and to let our personhood be known. I love it. I love it. We've heard from the not the HR lady who's 
who's good at people, as you can hear. She's she's given us, you know, Tara, you've given us a lot of advice. And what I very much appreciate is that you've given me advice and Mel and I advice that, that our listeners, I think, can resonate with about the role of HR, the good, the bad and the indifferent and the opportunities that HR has to, to really rise up, as, as you called it. You've given advice to leaders of organisations at every level, but particularly the top leaders to say, define your intention towards women. Yeah, that's taking the bullshit out. Define your intention and then go after it. I also really appreciate the invest in your people the same way that you invest in your customers. And of course, my absolute favourite, stop serving up slices of fuckeroni pizza, which is, you know, that that's just going to be my favourite saying for, forevermore. But finally, take up your space. So women, correct people when your name is wrong, your title is wrong, or there's a, there's a microaggression. And I'd say allies do it too, but take up that space and forget that advice that particularly women of my age have been given to sit down, shut up and look nice. So Tara, uh, I... I've just loved hearing you talk, not just because you drop the F-bomb more than I do, but, or as much as I do really, but I know I've loved it. It's, it's, you know, you are very much, uh, you're an expert in your field and you do call bullshit on the stuff that needs to be called bullshit on. Mel, any, any closing thoughts from you? I'll just, I'll just echo what I heard there from Tara. I really appreciated that because I feel like I, I see this on a regular basis that sort of women diminishing themselves in, in the workplace environment. So we have to make conscious effort to not do that. And I think it's also an opportunity for us when we see it happening to someone else to stand up as allies in many different circumstances. So thank you. Tara. And stop apologizing. Can I just throw that out there? Stop apologizing for things like that too. Stop minimizing yourself by apologizing. Okay, I'm done. If you want to watch something funny, watch the Amy Schumer sorry YouTube clip. It's hilarious. So, so folks, you can you can find Tara. Tara has a brilliant podcast. Tara, not the HR lady. Uh, that's that's the one I listen to. You can find her at not the HR lady. She please do follow her on LinkedIn. Her posts are absolutely worth tuning into. Talk about no bullshit and unfiltered. I love it. Um, so Tara, your time is an effort and labor here is much appreciated. And, and I look forward to following you and the success that you create for people and organizations. Thank you so much. Michelle, thank you. I knew we would be friends when I, on your LinkedIn profile, saw that you say, I'm a woman who gets shit done. And I was like, <laughs> that's my girl. That's right. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our time together. Good one. Thank Thanks, you. Sarah. This summer, A Career That Soars is pleased to offer a new, unique experience. Michelle Redfern, Amal Youssef, and myself, Mel Butcher, will be hosting Leadership Is, a live in-person workshop in Madison, Wisconsin, August 11 through 12, 2022. If you are a leader in an organization that's serious about supporting your female talent pipeline, learn more about sending a small cohort of women from your company to the event at leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. That's leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. And if you're a career woman ready to grow your ability to create the outcomes for your organization that matter most, we'd love for you to join us. Visit leadtosoar.com slash leadership is for attendee workshop details. That's leadtosoar.com slash leadership is. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com.